You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Um, so this is God's word, Matthew fifteen twenty-one through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by demons. He did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the last sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, Is it not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome this morning to Divine Church. It's so good to see you all here in person. And we want to say welcome to those gathering at home. Um, We are one body, though we are scattered And so we're just thankful that we can come together in whatever form. Before we dive into our text, I want to say a huge thanks to those who showed up yesterday for our workday. We got a lot of great things done outside, uh, trimming trees, fixing a retaining wall, painting new lines, cleaning up stuff, and and lots of other things. So, man, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, let's give it up for them. my man Ben back here was working hard at the retaining wall. So, and, I, and uh, Chris uh, Heitkamp and other guys and, and gals. Uh, Ruby was here. And I, I don't want to name everybody or I'll leave people out and offend people. So, um, But yeah, thank you to everybody who was here. Also, again, just for parents, um, we're thankful you're here with your kids. And if your kids make noise, it's not the end of the world. We love your kids. And uh, so it's a good thing. just want to say kids are welcome, even though we don't have next gen at this time. All right. So let's uh, look at our text today. Matthew 15, starting in verse 21, starting in verse 21. And so I'm going to read it again here. This is a challenging text today. This is hard. Sometimes we we find that when we read the Bible. And so we're going to walk through this and do the best we can this morning. And I I believe God's going to help us by the power of his spirit. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. All right, so look at what it says. It says he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And what that means is he's no longer in the Jewish territory anymore. Okay? He's no longer in the place of God's chosen people. He's in a place of Gentiles. Gentiles, if you're new to the Bible, Gentile just means non-Jewish person. And as you could expect, he's approached by 
someone who's non-Jewish. The Bible says here, a Canaanite woman. And we learn that she's making quite a scene. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Uh, if you look at the, the verb tense in the Greek, what that means is a continual action. She's crying a lot. She's continuing to cry. She's making a scene. Okay? And why is that? Well, we learn, what does she say? Look at it in verse 22. My daughter, she's a parent. My daughter is what? Severely oppressed by a demon. So her daughter is in really rough shape, really challenging situation. And any of you in the room that are parents know that one of the hardest things you can do is watch your kids suffer. It's the worst. I can tell you many stories from, from our lives of 18 years of parenting. One that immediately comes to mind for, for me is when my daughter, Autumn, had her first epilep, ep, epileptic seizure. Epileptic seizure. And we had no idea what was going on. And it was really traumatic to see what was happening. Uh, my wife was there. I, I was not. And we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know if it was a brain tumor or what at that point. And we knew we were powerless to do anything. So what did we do? Well, as you can imagine, we prayed. We hand our, 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 our cares over to God. And then humanly speaking, we're going to pursue some medical care. We need to find a physician that can help us figure this out, right? I can imagine if, if, if we didn't live in a country with good medical care, I would probably be wanting to throw a fit like this woman in our text. Desperate, right? My daughter's having a seizure and I don't know what to do. And that's how this woman feels. They didn't have medical care like we have today, back 2,000 years ago. Daughter's in trouble, and she's powerless, but guess what? Here comes, she sees, she's heard of this Jesus, here comes the great physician, right? They didn't have hospitals. So she knows a lot is at stake, and she's willing to throw a fit to get the attention of the great physician because she's a parent and she loves her daughter. Now look at verse 23. What does it say? But he did not answer her a word. Now that's strange, right? That's not what we expect from Jesus, is it? Not the typical pattern we read of in the New Testament. So something unique must be going on here, right? He did not answer her a word. Here's something I want you to drill down into this morning. Just because Jesus doesn't act the way we think he should doesn't mean he doesn't have our best interest in mind. Let me say that again. Just because Jesus doesn't act the way we think he should doesn't mean that he doesn't have our best interest in mind. There's a lot of examples of something like this in the Bible when Jesus does the unexpected in the short term for the sake of something long term. Classic example. A lot of you have heard of Lazarus. The account of Lazarus where he's 
raised from the dead by Jesus. John chapter 11. Okay? But here's the backstory to that account. The backstory is this. His friend, so Jesus is not hanging out where Lazarus is. They're a ways apart. Okay? And Lazarus' friends come to Jesus and say, Jesus, this person, Lazarus, we know you love him. We know that you're friends with Lazarus. And just would be normal if your friend is sick and on their deathbed, you're going to tell their friends. And so Jesus is Lazarus' friend. Lazarus' friends come and tell Jesus, Lazarus is really sick. He might die. So what do they expect? They expect that Jesus is going to come and heal him, right? What does Jesus do? This is what he says. He says, in essence, thank you for telling me. I'm going to stay put right now. I'm going to stay here and I'm not going to go to him. Now, if you put yourself in that situation, that's unexpected, right? Jesus, what the heck? Like, you who you all these people? You love Lazarus and you're just going to stay put? And guess what? Lazarus dies. In the short term, Lazarus' friends or anybody else who knew their relationship must have been thinking, Jesus just let him die. Like, what's going on there? That's a head scratcher, right? But from our vantage point, because we have the Bible 2,000 years later, we learn that Jesus was up to something far greater for the sake of God's glory and for teaching those around him, his disciples, right? He shows up three, four days later and raises Lazarus from the dead. And he knew that he was going to teach people John eleven twenty five. I am, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. See Lazarus dead four days. Now he's alive. That's going to, that's going to, that's going to carve a memory groove in their brain, right? So all that to say is just because Jesus doesn't act the way we think he should in the moment, doesn't mean he's not up to something glorious, beautiful. Maybe something similar is going on here. So Jesus says in verse 23, he just ignores her. So what happens next? Let's keep reading. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. She's making a scene, throwing a fit. It's probably awkward. It's pretty annoying, right? We get the impression here. Disciples aren't exactly filled with compassion, are they? So Jesus doesn't engage the woman. She's throwing a fit. Disciples are kind of annoyed. And you can kind of hear the subtext in their complaint, right? Like, Jesus, what's, what's your deal? Like, either deal with her or send her away. But this like middle ground of just ignoring her, it's not working out for us, right? Why, why are you continuing to ignore her? Well, look at verse 24. It's not clear if he says it to them or to her, but we'll just assume it's both. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Translation, I was sent to those Jewish people that don't believe in me. Okay, meaning not Canaanite women. 
Canaanite means non-Jewish. Now to our ears, when he says this in verse 24, it doesn't sound exactly encouraging, does it? But strictly speaking, what he says is very true. Think about it. For the most part, Jesus mainly hung out with Jewish people his whole life. All 12 of his disciples, Jewish. He spent the majority of his time with them. His most stinging rebukes were for Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law. Now, of course, there are many accounts of Jesus hanging out with non-Jewish people. Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. Matthew chapter 8, we already saw a few months ago. The centurion, he's Roman. And, And the list goes on and on. But for the most part, his mission was to Jewish people, okay? And then the converted ones who become his disciples, as we learn as the Bible goes on, are going to reach the world. But Jesus' mission was mainly to Jewish people. And he's just saying the same thing that, you probably don't remember this because it was a while ago, but if you look back in Matthew chapter 10, he sends out his disciples. And listen to what he says to them. As he sends his disciples out to preach, uh, Matthew 10, 5 says this, then, then 12, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, look at this, go nowhere among the Gentiles, go nowhere among the non-Jewish people, and enter no town of the Samaritans, again, non-Jewish, but go rather, same phrase right here, to the lost sheep of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it seems kind of cold to our eyes as we read this from kind of our perspective here of, of verse 24. Especially in light of the fact that we know that Jesus has already healed the servant of a non-Jewish centurion back in chapter 8. You with me? So there's probably something more going on here with Jesus. And this interaction with this Canaanite woman. And I was, as I was studying this passage this week, it's clear that scholars don't know for sure what Jesus' motive is here, what's truly going on. Um, like, one thing to remember with our Bibles is that it's just the written text. And we all know, like with an email, with a text, with a Slack message, when there's no nonverbal communication when there's no tone of voice, when there's no facial expressions, it's hard to really know what's going on. You know how when you get an email and you're like, this person could be really mad at me or they're totally fine, but I have no idea. Right? Because there's no nonverbals. So this raw text doesn't give us all the information of what's going on. Um, So maybe there's more going on here. But this is a great time for us to, let me just, pause for a second. Let me just talk about a a Bible interpretation issue that we all face. How do we deal with parts of the Bible that are really hard to understand? How do we deal with parts of the Bible that are really hard to understand? And there's a lot we could say here, a lot we could say here, but let me give you one principle, super simple, that's going to help you interpret your Bible and especially interpret this text this morning that's hard. Like, Jesus, you're not doing what I expect. It seems like if I just read this verse all by itself, it seemed that you're kind of cold, right? And it's going to get worse as we keep reading. Uh, 
but here's what we have to know. We have to interpret scripture with scripture. We have to interpret scripture with scripture. So what does that mean? What does the rest of the Bible say about this little text that I'm reading? Whether it's this one or another one that we find that's challenging. So, for example, this section makes it sound like Jesus is cold and uncaring. Is that what the rest of Scripture presents about Jesus? No. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Jesus is loving. Jesus is caring. Jesus is welcoming, right? That's what the whole of the Bible says about Jesus. So I'm going to interpret scripture with scripture. I'm going to take those scriptures and say, well, that's not the character of Jesus that I know. So something else probably is going on here, right? See how that works? So we let the rest of scripture shine a light on what seems unclear, okay? So just as kind of a, um, a, 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 just like a side comment here, if you come across something that's, that's kind of a head scratcher, in the Bible, just ask yourself, just super simple, one principle, what does the rest of the Bible say about this? What does the rest of the Bible say about maybe my emotions with this text right now? Is there something from the rest of the Bible that can help inform my thinking about this text? Okay? All right, let's go back to our account this morning. Verse 24. Look at it together with me. He answered, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now things zoom in, right? She comes close. She comes close. And what does it say? She kneels before him, a sign of reverence, a sign of respect. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Look at, check out verse 26. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Hello. Now that sounds even worse, right? Is he calling her a dog? Is he saying he's not willing to have compassion on non-Jewish people? Well, again, Scripture with Scripture... We know that's not consist, consistent with the character of Jesus. We've seen him heal non-Jewish people. We've seen him interact with non-Jewish people. So what is he doing here? With his analogy of children and dogs, he's underscoring, check this out, he's underscoring the order of God's mission. The fancy term is, theologians would call this, progressive revelation. Or you could say the progressive order of salvation. God's mission to the world from Genesis to Revelation happens according to a plan, according to a certain order, right? It unfolds over centuries. So Jesus had a very specific role to play in this plan. He showed up physically for 33 years. That's it. That's not a long time. And like I said, Jesus mainly spent time with Jewish people, right? 
He doesn't travel far outside the, the region of Jerusalem, the, the region of, of Jewish people. Like con- contrast that with Paul that we'll see decades after this, that he's going all over the known world, right? Jesus had a specific role to play in a specific order. And the order is this, to Jewish people first. There's a real famous verse for, for those that might be more familiar with your Bible, uh, Romans 1.16. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. A lot of us have heard that verse, but we forget this part. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. See how it says to the Jew first? And also to the Greek, Greek meaning non-Jewish people, Gentiles. So it could be that that's all that, that Jesus means here. Like to use his analogy, there's an order in how people eat in the family. So you would feed your kid because they're your kid. They have special relationship with you as your child. Like the Jewish people have a special relationship with God in the Old Testament, right? And then you're going to feed the family dog. There's an order there that was just typical, right? We all get that. But let me tell you another thing that's interesting about this text. There's two words in Greek for dog. And one is like the mangy street dog that has rabies and is scary and all that. And, and there's another word for a dog that is like a household pet that would be different, right? One is, on the, one is like banished to the street. One is welcomed into the home. And he uses that word, the household pet, for the word dog here in this account, right? So Jesus is not harsh here. Hear that. Maybe he said it with a wink and a smile. Maybe there's something culturally going on here that we don't totally understand because we don't live in their culture. He uses the term dog as an analogy of the order of salvation. But notice he also didn't place her on the street. He places her in the home. Family pets get accepted and they get cared for as well. But there's an order in in how you feed the family, right? So don't read this as if Jesus is enjoying an insult or something like that. That's not his character. But now check this out. I love this woman. She's persistent. She's witty. Look at what she says in verse 27. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Maybe she sensed that Jesus was being playful with her. Or maybe she was just really persistent and really witty. We can't know for sure. But what we know for sure is this. Jesus is not cruel. If that were the case, what we would see in our last verse would would not have taken place. Because essentially, he's allowing her to like best him in like verbal debate. Like this is the only time in like a verbal confrontation where Jesus kind of lets his opponent win, if, if you want to frame it that way. Like he gets into it with the Pharisees all the time and he turns them on their heads. But look at what he says to her here. Verse 28. She gets the last word. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. 
So the, the back and forth kind of like verbal combat, it's over. He just rewards her. Oh woman, great is your faith. Be, be it done for you as you desire. And check it out. Her daughter was healed instantly. A lot of scholars think that this is simply Jesus testing her faith. Is she genuine? And she passed the test, right? Jesus loves those who come to him in persistence, non-giving up faith. Jesus loves when we come to him, like we sang this morning, Lord, I need you. It's real, real simple. That's what she said. Lord, help me. One of the best pray, prayers you can ever pray. Super simple. Communicates your desperation. Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. That's what we see here. He might not respond as we think he should. Do, do we have a category for that? He is God and we are not. But he loves that prayer, I promise you. And here's where the faith comes in. Persistent faith is always rewarded either now or in eternity through the promises of the gospel. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us, given to us as a gift when we come to him by faith. Adopted into the family of God the slate wiped clean, the inheritance of an eternal heavenly father given to you as a son or daughter of the king. Beautiful, beautiful. That's what, that's what she received. That's what she received. I want to turn a corner now. Here's what I want us to really focus on this morning. In our text, the focus here is on Jesus and the woman. But as you're reading a narrative, it's important to ask yourself all the time, are there other characters going on here? Are there other people present at this text? Who's listening in? Because oftentimes when you read a narrative, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, the ones that are listening in are the ones that we can probably most relate to. Right? So for example, like with David and Goliath, we always think of the, the centerpiece of the, of the story is David and Goliath. And the way that text is almost always preached is, well, you can be like David. You can be like David. No, you can't. Jesus is David. Jesus is the champion. Jesus is the one who slayed the enemy of God's people. Who are we? We're the Israelites that are, that are cowering in the corner yearning for a king to come and slay the enemies of God's people. The, the, in that account, there's all these Israelites that are looking in, listening in to see what the, the, the God's appointed king is going to do to deal with their problem, to deal with their enemies. We relate to the cowering Israelites who need a savior. And in this text, who's listening in? Who's watching? It's the disciples, right? They're underemphasized, but don't forget, the disciples here are checking this out. They were the ones greatly annoyed by this woman. 
And to them, she just seemed like an unclean Gentile woman. Some of them were probably thinking when they saw this little verbal debate start happening, they must have been thinking, go get her, Jesus. Tell her off, Jesus. We've seen you do it before. We know you can do it again. But I think Jesus was up to something here. I think he wanted to jolt them awake out of their prejudice, out of their cultural assumptions, to the plan of God for the sake of the nations. See, to them, this is a woman. In their culture, what does that mean? Second-class citizen. To them, this is a Canaanite woman. Who are Canaanites? Historically, Canaanites are the ultimate enemy of God's people. She's unclean as a Gentile, and she's a woman. They've already said, send her away. And this was their posture, right? We don't want anything to do with her. She's annoying. She's making a scene. She needs compassion. We don't have any. She's a woman. She's a Canaanite. And maybe what Jesus is doing here is allowing them to watch this so that they can confront their cultural prejudiced assumptions. Because what, remember, what is Jesus going to say to them? The last recorded words of the book of Matthew, as he hands over the keys of the kingdom, literally to them, to be the first church planters to go global. What does it say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, Canaanites included. That's what he's going to say to them in a few chapters. Maybe he was anticipating and foreshadowing these words that he would say to his disciples. You're going to go to non-Jewish people. The whole world. Maybe this was a lesson that he needed to show them. That the gospel is for all nations. Those who come by faith will be rewarded. What do we learn? What do we learn today from this text? I think he's just foreshadowing here the mission of the church. Our church and any other church around the world that labels Jesus as Lord, that comes to Jesus as Lord. And, and the message is simply this. All are welcome to come. All. See, this is kind of normal for us, right? This is kind of normal for us. But back then, this was not normal. These strict divisions, right? And we have, of course, we have divisions today. But like when I mean, what I mean when I say normal for us, like in our church culture, we talk about nations all the time. It's super normal, right? But see, Jesus' disciples, they, at this time, they didn't know that they were going to go worldwide. They didn't know that that was going to be their calling. And Jesus shows them vividly this morning that non-Jewish unclean women and anyone else can come to and taste and see the rewards of faith in Jesus. Could it be that Jesus delayed this healing of this woman's daughter so the disciples could be confronted with their prejudice? Like he wanted them to rejoice in what he said to her as a seeming insult so they would be shocked into deep reflection of their hearts. Like I wonder if we can see our own ethnocentrism in that. Can we see maybe 
our propensity to be prejudiced as well. It's not between Jewish and Canaanite. I can promise you that this morning. But what is it? Here's, here's a challenging question that I think is really good for us to ask or just be aware of. Who would we prefer that Jesus send away? Like Jesus, man, like I know you're the, you're, you're Lord of history and you're the Lord of the nations and you're Lord of all people groups. You're the Lord of all cultures. But man, if this one person came in this morning, I don't know. Who's that? Who is that? Is it people that think different about politics than you do? People that have more or less money than you? People that look different, smell different than you? People that don't share your same cultural instincts? People that just can't seem to get it together? Who would we rather Jesus just, just send them away, Jesus. Send them away. I know the Bible says you love them, but I don't. This is one reason, just real practical and simple, that I'm so hyper about, I want every member of the Vine Church to go on a mission trip at some point. Like it's so good for us to be a minority, to feel what that's like, and to be in a context where all of your cultural assumptions are not the way that they do things. Right? It's so good. Like, why would I say that? Theologically, here's why I would say that. It's so good for us to see that our world in Madison is so small, it's tiny. And that the world God made and said he loves is so, so big. And he's up to things in those places, just like he's up to things here where we sit. And it so greatly helps us put our prejudices aside and be reminded that God is a God of the nations. I've only been traveling outside the 48 states for the last nine years. And I just promise you, as I've spent a lot of time in Ecuador, I spent a lot of time in France, I spent a lot of time in Morocco, my, my like, it's just like experientially, my theology has deepened. I know intellectually that God is the God of the nations, but now I've seen it. Now I've tasted it, Right? God is a God of every culture and color. His love extends to them. Canaanites, Madisonians, Moroccans, Ecuadorians, even French people. My, my, my French friend is here this morning. Uh, and so we bring our prejudice, just like the disciples, to the cross. And we thank God that he nailed it there. See Colossians chapter two. He nailed it to the cross. It's over. It's done. That's not who you are anymore. You're, you don't stand condemned anymore for your prejudice. 
The disciples don't stand condemned anymore as, Jesus, as, as they allow Jesus to blow their minds. Jesus, we wanted you to send her away and you rewarded her faith. Jesus, what's going on here? Then they're going to learn that their mission as a church, their mission as first church planters, connect this text to Matthew 28. All nations, go. I made them, I love them. They need to hear the gospel. Go, go. And so we go as the Vine Church. What do we say all the time? Neighbors and nations. Our mission is to plant churches just like it was theirs among neighbors and nations. See Redeemer City Church, see Eastside Church, see Morocco, see Ecuador, see the echoes being sent out. This is what we do. And so it started back here and God willing, we will continue and and just keep doing it as long as we have breath with the word and the spirit, empowering us every step of the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have promised to be with us and never forsake us. You say that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. And so we pray that you would empower us to um, allow you to blow our minds, maybe like this woman had her mind blown as as the disciples had their mind blown. Um, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of the nations and that you can empower us to go uh, across the street to our Madison neighbors um, and maybe to nations that are gathered here in Madison and also to, to go across the ocean. And we pray this would happen by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.